Good morning. Uh, last week we started on 1 Corinthians and uh, we got a glimpse into the, the culture and the community and, and, and the church itself that was um, set up there by Paul and we got to see how the church in Corinth was negatively impacted by the community and the culture of its time. Paul started out in chapter 1 talking about the fact that God has enriched them in Christ Jesus in every way and we spoke about that and what that meant and how that uh, can we just pause that because I forgot the little flicker thing for the (laughs) yeah we got this you got to see that uh, Paul used that as a platform for the rest of the book that Jesus Christ you've been enriched in Christ in every way and because of that this is in light of that Let's look at the issues that you're dealing with. And we got to look at the, 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 the fact that they were struggling with the impact the community was, ha- was having on the church, especially in the areas of human wisdom and exalting human leaders. They had misunderstood the true message of the gospel that it wasn't about eloquence of speech, it wasn't about philosophies, wisdom connecting you to our God. It wasn't actually about anything you can do to connect yourself to God, it's all about what God has done in order to bring you into a relationship with him. We looked at the fact that the gospel is a simple message that Jesus Christ has come, died for our sins was raised again and we are called to come through faith, saved by grace. And the powerful message of the gospel is at work in those that come to believe in it and its wisdom is found in those who come to know Jesus Christ as their saviour and its foolishness to those who think that they can connect to God through philosophies and worldly ways. The population of the world today is a little bit over 7 billion. Uh, it's a big number. So to get a bit of an idea about how, uh, how, the, how we are populating at the moment and uh, we're nearly keeping up just in this church at this sort of rate but uh, we're going at two births a second and one death a second. Okay, we're not quite that quick but... Two births a second and one death, you know, every second. Bang, two people are born, one is dead. And it's a massive number. There's a huge amount of people on this planet. But Paul says no matter how many people, there are only two types of people that exist. I'm sorry, find my verse. Uh, Verse 14, chapter 2. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Compared to the man that he talks about in verse 15 and 16, the spiritual man makes judgments 
about all things but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of Christ. So there are two types. There are those who have the spirit of God and those that don't. There are those who will spend eternity with God and there are those that won't. No matter how many people are walking this face of the earth, it will never change that truth. And, but Paul goes on further in chapter 3 at the beginning to speak about their spiritual state. That yes, you are sanctified, as he said in verse 3, you are sanctified in Christ. You are believers. But your lives, you're living worldly lives. You're immature. Um, and another translation uses the word carnal. It, it refers to physical needs specifically, especially sexual. And we see from this passage that there are believers who have the spirit yet live worldly lives, live carnal lives. And Paul refers to them as immature And we will see that uh, we will see that their attitude is that they think they are wise, they think they are smart, they think they have it together, but in reality they are just babies, and they are not growing because they continue to live this lifestyle. And Paul's sort of summing it up, saying the way that your the way your church is is a reflection of the way you are. I think we can say this morning that I missed one. The church's impact on the community is a reflection of the spiritual maturity of the believer. The church's impact on the community is a reflection of our maturity, and I'm bringing it here to Monty, our maturity as believers. <coughs> The more that we live in dependence upon God, spending time with him, meditating on the things of God and the things that are to come and reading his word, we'll not only see a change in our thinking and a change in our behaviour, but we will see the impact that that then has on those that we deal with and those that are watching us. Perhaps the church of today, and this is a thought I had during the week, uh, perhaps the church of today are struggling to impact on the community because there might just be too many babies in the pews. Not enough willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Not enough willing to love the unloved. Sometimes there's just not enough willing to surrender all to Jesus. And while Paul clearly states out the problem of division in the church, he goes on to speak about the consequences. 
So he's mapped out the problem. There's human wisdom. You're relying on that. You're talking about human leaders and you're praising them and following them and boasting about them. That's the problem. And here's some consequences. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like real men? You know, they're stuck in baby stage. They're not growing up. I'm glad that my kids, they're only nearly five and three, but they're not in baby stage anymore. Um, There's some wonderful things about baby stage. Uh, They don't have to back. Pretty pretty quiet. Um, and uh, but there's some also some negatives about babies. Now th- I don't take this the wrong way, but this is my point that I'm just glad my kids are growing up. Um, they they don't take a lot of responsibility, do they, Chris? No, no. Still paying the bills. <laughs> um, you know they they. Uh, they don't communicate until two and a half, sort of three, and you know we're just going through that with Ava. She's using some words, some sentences, but then she doesn't know the right words, so she just screams it out. Ah! It's frustrating. You know, when you spend too much time with a baby, it really affects you. Um, I was I was coming home from work uh, when we had Mackenzie and. Rachel, I was like, you know, four thirty, five, and Rachel's in her pajamas some days, and I know it was, it, you know, it's hard, and I'd sort of get this look, and she hadn't had any contact with humans that, you know, some days, <laughs> sort of adults, and there was no conversation. So the first word from the night before to a grown-up was when I came home at five the next day, and it was sort of sometimes got this look and. You know, <laughs> it took a little bit of time to get that first word out, you know, to me. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, I'm not in trouble. I didn't ask you if I could say that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it can get tiring. Um, it, it's an emotional toll and physical, <laughs> and it can be frustrating at times. And you can sense that in Paul with these guys. They have the spirit. They've been made right with Christ. They're in a relationship with their Creator. Yet this is the life that they're living. And it's frustrating for him that they're like babies and they're not growing up. They're stuck in this stage, in this maturity stage. Um, This isn't really from a biblical point of view. I keep missing one. But what is your spiritual age? You know, I was thinking about this during the week. What's your, my spiritual age? And this doesn't come from any passage. Or, and I'm not even sure if there's anything online where you can do some sort of questionnaire that tells you, oh, you're 33 spiritually. Um, there's all sorts of questions you can answer and they'll tell you how old you really could be. Or, <coughs> but it's confronting if you think personally, I can't answer for you. Your wife, your husband really probably can't answer for you. 
you can only answer yourself and look into your heart where you are in your relationship with God. I was a Christian at a young age, raised in a Christian home. But this morning I I regretfully say that I was a baby for a long, long time, stuck in baby stage, not growing up. But I'm glad that now I can say that I'm on sort of solids now. (laughs) And as we grow, we need success stories. Recently, Ava has been running up and down the hallway, Daddy, Daddy, I've done wheeze in the toilet. I can't tell you how proud I am of that. I never would have thought I would be. (laughs) Someone did wheeze in the toilet. Oh, changes your, your day. Oh, <laughs> I will. So. But we need success stories to share and to hold on to and know that God is changing us. To look back and see over this last month's years God is changing the way that I think and the way that I live. And I'm maturing, I'm growing. And it's a challenge to look at myself. How am I going spiritually? Where am I at? Am I a baby in the faith still? It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or a young adult. You can be a baby at any stage in your life. You can be mature in your faith at 18, more than a 30 or 40 year old. A surrendered life to God will be a changed life. Can you see the change that God has had on your life recently? Because our our unity and maturity in Christ is going to go a long way to having an impact on this culture and community of Monty and of the outer suburbs and and the places and the workplaces and the unis which we are involved in. He also goes on to point to future consequences. Speaks of rewards for the works they have done in the church, in the building of the church. Not viewing salvation, we're sort of into chapter 3 now and down into verse 10. Uh, not viewing salvation as a reward but once sanctified, once made right with God, once saved we have this new life and how we build on top of the foundation that Jesus Christ is our Saviour and our Lord how we build on that and grow and mature will come under a quality testifier, the scripture says, and will be rewarded accordingly. Um, it, it, I found it fascinating to read about this passage and read it and I've, I've heard it, I haven't heard it spoken about much to be honest, rewards, because sometimes it's a little bit, oh, should we be talking about being rewarded for what we're doing? I mean, the Christian's all about what, God has done and 
but it's here. And whether we build, Paul uses these terms, whether we build with gold, silver or costly stones, it will be tested by fire. Whether we build with wood, hay or straw, it will be tested with fire. And those who have works that will be burned up, although they will be saved, Paul puts it as one who is escaping the flames. It's an awesome look into the future. I found it really awesome to look into. I don't probably understand all of it. And I'll be honest, I don't understand a lot about what is to come. But to be rewarded by God is not something I think we should shy away from or ignore. Jesus spoke of living with the attitude of not out to please men but to please the Father. And in pleasing God we will be rewarded. And in living a life surrendered to God and pleasing God there are rewards to come and they are not rewards that are about us boasting in ourselves but actually rewards which we can take and give glory to God. And from speaking about those rewards he gives a confronting warning to the people in verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Specifically here to the Christians in Corinth, you are leading the people down the wrong path. There is division in the church. You're praising and following men. You're exalting human wisdom as though it needs to be attached to the gospel message in order to connect to God. And we're not going into everything that there is about God uh, destroying Uh, the church, God destroying people. But it's fair to say this morning that you don't want to be destroyed by God. And I'm not taking it lightly in just sort of brushing over and saying that. But it puts it into perspective. You don't want to be facing the wrath of God. You don't want to be facing the discipline of God in that way and it shows the importance in which God places on leaders, elders, ministers of the word in building the church up, in instructing, in teaching, in leading. God places a huge importance and a priority on it. Paul returns to the subject of himself and the teachers at Corinth 
and refers to himself as a servant of Christ. Uh, Paul characterises what an acceptable servant of God looks like in chapter 4. Their sin is praising and following teachers in the church and it prompts Paul to teach them what Peter and Paul and Apollos, what they're actually all about. Because it wasn't the teachers at this time who were in fault teaching bad theology or false teaching. It was the people who were at fault. And so his rebuke is to the people. If they could truly understand their identity before God, exactly who they are, they're not superior to anybody. If they could understand before God who they are by first understanding who Paul and Peter, who they are before God as servants, then perhaps we can stamp out this attitude of superiority and eliteness. In chapter 4 verse 1 he really makes his point by using a a different word for servant than what uh, he has before. There's about four or five different meanings um, or different words for the word that we just use as servant uh, uh, back in this time and Paul uses the specific word which refers to an under rower. Now the under rower it was the, the lowest of the low position on the ship and it was the, the lowest title that Paul could have used uh, for this word servant. And so he's bringing it right down that this is who we are. We are not up anywhere superior on the food chain. In fact, we are like an under rower. They were slaves who rowed under the authority of the man who coordinated the direction of the ship. They were only doing what they were told when someone got the instruct when they gave the instruction to steer the ship in the direction in which the authority of the person above them told them to. We're not here to be leaders of parties, we're not here to have our own followers. We're not here to boast in what we know. We're not competing with one another. We're not mighty people. But just like simple rowers, Paul says. Sorry, distracted there. Um, he goes on and uses it in verse 2 actually in verse 1 servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God so in verse 1 two descriptions servants of Christ and in some versions as those entrusted but um, also you might have steward um, a steward uh, back in, in this time, it, it painted the picture as one who would manage business, um, uh, perhaps properties, for their master. 
and his responsibility and sole purpose was to basically exist um, to, to, to make and put everything into making sure the, the needs of the business and management of the property for the master was looked after. Uh, something similar this morning, I guess, to uh, employers and employees of today. Uh, probably employers would be thinking, I wish I had employees that looked after and made a priority uh, to look after everything of, the, of my business needs. And employees are probably feel the same way, thinking, well, he doesn't treat me that well, so why would I go the extra mile? But that's a story for another day. But Paul identifies himself as one whom God has given responsibility to in regards to preaching the gospel. And he declares that not just in chapter 1 but also later in chapter 15. And in response to this trust by God, this responsibility given by God, Paul stresses the importance of being faithful to that calling. You know, we all have at least a spiritual gift, at least one spiritual gift. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we actually all have a responsibility to share the message of the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. And I was really challenged to think about what God has entrusted to me and am I being faithful to the calling which God has placed on my life? Faithful in the way that I live and faithful in the way that I commit and make it a priority to carry out the message and the responsibility God has given me. Um, are his priorities your priorities? Are the desires of God's heart, as we read through the word, are his desires your desires this morning? Paul says in chapter 15 and 3, What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised to life on the third day. It was Paul's desire to be faithful to the calling God had on his life. Paul recognised himself as a servant of God, not a servant of the Corinthian church. And I think that one is important. I think even today we can get um, mixed up uh, uh, views on someone is there, the pastor's there to serve me. Is there to serve us, which he is. But really, it's a consequence. It's the. It's, it's really the truth is that Paul and uh, and David and Brent here, in order in, in really serving Christ, as servants of Christ, we are the recipients. As the Corinthian church, were the recipients of Paul's ministry. He wasn't theirs to hang on to. Apollos and Cephas, Peter, wasn't, they weren't theirs to hold on to and to boast about and follow. 
and some thought highly of Paul and followed him and some thought that Paul wasn't really up to their standard of of what he should look like, what he should sound like. He he is a little bit uh, daggy and and not really eloquent in the way he speaks when he presents the message. But Paul says it's not for you to judge me. In fact, I do not even judge myself. This is who I am. I'm an under-rower. I'm a servant. I've been entrusted, given responsibility by God with a message to preach the gospel. I'm not to be followed and boasted about. I don't care what you say really about me because what matters is what God how God judged me and how he will judge me for what I've done, for how I've built. He goes on in verse 6. These servant characteristics are true of him and true of the other ministers. Now brethren, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying do not go beyond what is written then you will not take pride in one man over against another for who makes you different from anyone else what do you have that you have not received and if you did receive it why do you boast as though you did not Um, verse 8 already you have all you want Already you have become rich. You have become kings. That without us. How I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak. But you are strong. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. They are arrogant. They are not servant. The characteristics of servanthood and 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 uh, being and uh, being entrusted with this uh, this message and responsibility. That's not true of the Corinthian church. They are arrogant and they boast in their leaders of choice and they behave as if the time is now for kingship, now for authority and ruling and rewards. And Paul sarcastically puts them in their place. Says, you think you're wise, strong and honoured. But don't you know suffering comes before glory? And he says to this very hour, in verse 11, to this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. So imitate me. Imitate me is Paul's message to these people. Paul, as we spoke about last week, was a 
a little bit of an emotional sort of letter to the Corinthian church, a sort of personal letter. Um, and he addresses them as, far, as like a father, a spiritual father and they're his like children. And when he says they're babies in the faith, he wants them to grow and mature and, and, and sort of the step is imitate me, Paul says. I am being Christ-like, I am being a servant, a steward. Imitate me. That's a starting point for you. To come from where you are, this is a starting point, imitate me. Because it's the attitude that Paul wants to change in their lives, in their hearts, in order to change the way that they live, to change the way that they think about connecting to God and relationship with God and change the way they think about their superiority and their spiritual eliteness and then that will change the way in which they actually live. This morning, there's no greater servant to be reminded of, to be followed, to be imitated than Jesus Christ. He humbly followed the will of God and became human, a servant. And quite simply he came and he died for our sins. He was buried and raised to life. And that's the message of the Gospel. So simple but so powerful. So the question this morning we must ask ourselves is are you prepared to be a servant? Are you prepared to be an under-rower, humbling position. It's going to mean sacrifice. It's going to mean suffering. Are you prepared to be a servant? Jesus was. Are you prepared to take what you've been entrusted with and faithfully serve your master because Jesus was a servant and a steward the attitudes of our saviour are to be the attitudes of our hearts and our lives as we mature and grow in our faith and impact the culture and the community around us And there is a reward coming, a reward which maybe we can't fully grasp right now but eternity, eternity in heaven with our Saviour and our God. Let it spur us on, spur us on to live a life as a servant because we know what's to come. Let's pray. Lord and God,
This morning I thank you for your Saviour, your Son, our Saviour, who came to earth with a servant attitude and set the example for us. And as we surrender our lives to him, may his character be true in our lives. Take our lives, change us and mould us into your likeness that we would have an impact on this society, on this community. And as we do this, may we look to the future for what's to come. An eternal existence in your presence. May it spur us on to sacrifice and a holy life separated for you. Lord, encourage us with these words and bless us as we go from this place and may we be reminded of this during this week as we deal with the people in our community, in our workplace, our school, uni. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.